my privilege to be with you and uh, probably I will not follow the computer, I never do, but nevertheless. I wanted to mention that as we start, we may have a few challenges because I'm going to talk to you straight to the heart and uh, you may sometimes not feel very comfortable with what I say. If you don't agree, uh, you don't have to take it. Just take what is appropriate for you. And if you get upset, I'll pray for you. Okay. <laughs> I want to start by saying that in this society that we live, in this society, and I'm not talking about you. You must be holy. You must not know what I'm talking about. But in this society that we live, people have become extremely self-centered. <clears throat> That's the reason we have so many conflicts. That's the reason we have so many families that are broken. Nobody thinks about what would make the other one happy. Everybody thinks about what they would like, what would make them happy. Extremely self-centered, extremely selfish. Uh, and we have so many problems. And I want to say, in the whole history, people that have been selfish, uh, trying to acquire self uh, happiness and satisfaction, they never get happy. There is no blessing in trying to be blessed. I go to church to get a blessing. Good luck, you'll never get one. There is no blessing, zero, in seeking a blessing. The single blessing that God ever gave us and He will ever give us is only when you are a blessing for others. The real single happiness, regardless how much you try to acquire or to do or to get, you will never be satisfied or happy or have peace or joy or any type of real accomplishments. The great people in history have been people that they forgot self and they have become blessings for others. Amen. The single blessing that you can ever get is to sacrifice self and become a blessing for others. That's when you get a blessing. Amen. That's the real joy, the real happiness when you can make others happy. <clears throat> and I'm going to say you look in the Bible history, <coughs> excuse me, the Bible characters. They are the people. That, we don't talk about somebody that has a job. Good to see you, Jim. They, they are not the people that got a good job and a good salary and, hey, I am set. I have a good salary, I have a nice house and I have a boat and I have a nice car and I have a life. Those are very unhappy people that look for these things. I'm not saying that they are bad. Give me a nice car, I take it. There is nothing wrong with a nice car or a nice house. It's not about that. But it's about being self-centered. That's what I'm talking about. People that try to be set, regardless how much they may seem to have from outside, if you know their life, they are very unhappy. The real happiness, people that have been big names in history, big names, have been those people that have sacrificed self for others. Those are the names that remain in history. The others come and go. Nobody knows about them. They are nobodies. Not because they are nobodies, because God doesn't love them. God loves everybody the same. But because they are too self-centered to have time to do something that is important. Moses, he could have been a pharaoh. Am I right? Yeah. A great general, great future, brilliant, brilliant future. Yet, he sacrificed self. Amen. And remember, people that he tried to save, many times they tried to stone him. There is not much thankfulness in our society when you help somebody. You follow me? 
But Moses is somebody in history and he saved a nation and maybe more than that because he gave up everything in order to be a blessing for others. Abraham, he gave up everything. Am I right? We talk about anyone in the Bible history. And then we, we don't have to talk about Bible history. Think about George Miller in England. How many of you have heard the name George Miller? Churchill says that he saved an entire generation. But he sacrificed self for the sake of being a blessing for others. I'm going to give you an example from my own family. My father was a man of prayer, a man with great character and dedication, extremely, extremely wise, extremely humble, extremely dedicated, a man that everybody who knew him respected him. He was like an Abraham, like, like he walked with God. And... Uh, I was small. We lived in an apartment. My father had money, but he never wanted a big house. Not because he didn't like a big house, but because he was too busy helping others. And so, uh, we lived in an apartment that was like a train. You know what that means? You go from room to room to room to living room to kitchen, you know? Or from room to room to room to bathroom to... You follow me? And so, I'm, I was born hungry. I eat. Not a lot, but often. Okay? I need to eat every four hours. Don't bring food because I already got plenty. Thank you though. <laughs> I eat. And so in the evening, around 6 p.m., we all ate. And he told us stories from his life. And he prayed for us. And he would bless us. And he would take, I remember, take me on his lap and look into my eyes and say, I've been praying a lot to give you an example. Do the same to give your children an example. Because it's not what you say, but what you do that counts. And then he would say to me, he would say to me, I'm trying to follow God's plan so you can have an example in me. And I'm trying to know God. So as you know me, you would have a chance to know a little of God through me. Think about that. For instance, I would do something stupid. I mean, really stupid. For, for instance, our math teacher had a big Texas hat. And it was knowing. And the classmates knew that I, I was a little sony, you know, a little crazy. And they knew that I cannot escape a challenge. Pavel, can you hit the hat? I said, why not? Well, if he's a moving target. I said, even better. When the teacher came out of the school, and children started to, yes, 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 you know, kind of be supportive. And the teacher noticed he ducked and the, the snowball went into the window of the school and, and broke the window. Mm. So the principal called my father to the school. And my father had, you know, I mean, he got a year full of, you know, he does this and he does that and he does, he's a crazy kid, he, you know. And when my father left, he took me like that. We left from school and I had no fear whatsoever because I knew what was following. He gave me a big hug, literally. He kissed me and he said, I did the same when I was young. I just never got caught, but I did the same. And he said, my father prayed for me and I changed. And I am praying for you and you will change. And then he said to me, can you imagine as much as I am praying for you? When he said to me, when, when, God, when God is going to change you and God is going to use all this energy and all these ideas and creativity for his work, imagine how much God can accomplish through you because I am praying for you. Amen. And then he said, you did something wrong. But God forgives me and I forgive you. Mm. you, can't, you can't grasp that. God forgives me. 
So how, how can I do differently? I forgive you. And I cannot let you just get away with it. You have to fix it. But because I love you, I'm going to pay together with you. So you come to work. And whatever you work, I'm going to match it. And then we are going to install the window together. We work together because I love you. That, that's something. So he said, I want you to know God through me. He was a, 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 a good man. And I would see, I would eat often. At 6 p.m. we would eat together. He would tell us stories during the meal. And then uh, we would talk and then, anyway, eventually we went to sleep. When everybody was sleeping, around 10 p.m., guess what I did? I went to the kitchen to eat. I got a banana. I was happy again. I felt saved every time I ate, you know. <laughs> and as I was walking from room to room, guess what? When I would go to my sister's bedroom, they were, you know. I go to my parents' bedroom, my mom was, guess what my father was doing? Praying. Praying. And then I would go back, he was still praying. And then around 1, 2 a.m., I would go back, get another banana, then go back to sleep. I, I could not sleep if I didn't eat. Guess what he was doing? Praying. And then at 5 a.m. I would wake up and go again and get an apple. Guess what he was doing? Praying. Praying. At night after night. And I said, when do you sleep? And he would say, between prayers. How do you do that? And he says, I cannot help. God is by my, my bed waiting for me. And I go to sleep. I just got to talk to him. Amen. Grasp that. And I said, why do you need to pray so much? And he would say, I need to be so filled with God's presence to the degree that I no longer make decisions, but God can make the decisions for me. Amen. And he would say to me, I need to be so filled with God's presence that I, am, I can hear his voice and do whatever he says, not what I want. Amen. And then he said, and I'm also praying for you. And I said, I don't need so much prayer. And he would say, that's the reason I am praying so much for you. <laughs> And then he said, I pray for your sisters, I pray for your mom, I, I pray for the church. I said, but that takes only 15 seconds, Lord, be my church. And my father would say, no, that's the prayer that you don't care. When you care, you are very specific. When you are generic is when you don't care. Whoa. Hello. I hope you got that part. And he would say, I pray for the church name by name, every mother, every father, every child, every department, every leader, every... I pray one by one. And he says, the night is not enough. Think about it. And so, uh, we were during communism. And uh, my father would go for many years, I don't know, 10, 20 years, I don't want to exaggerate, for many years, would go almost every week. Either he would go, or a guy from former Yugoslavia would come and bring smuggled Bibles into the country. That was against the law. If you were caught, that would be the end of your life. Or the best, the, the, the end of your freedom. And I tell you, sometimes death was better than torture in communist prisons. I mean, they would beat you and torture you. They caught my grandfather with Bibles, and they beat him so bad until internal organs were broken in him and they left him for dead in the street in a, in a bloodbath. And people found him, took him to hospital. He was not dead, but he was in coma for several months. And the whole church praying for him. Basically, they would beat you and torture you and kill you. It's difficult to grasp. I don't want to go into those stories. To hear people screaming when they were tortured. And Anyway, so it was... Terrible to be caught by the secret police. In Russia they call it KGB, in Romania called it security or securitate. But anyway, and so 
going back, my father would smuggle Bibles in the country. And every trip he would bring four, five hundred Bibles. And I would say to him, you risk your life or your freedom. And when they catch you, they are going to take all of us. And my father would say, I cannot help but do what God says. And for me, God's work is more important than my life. How many people say that today? You follow me? And I remember so many stories, so many miracles. And I would say, why would God do these miracles for you? And I said, well, he doesn't do it for me. I'm not important. He is important. He does it for himself. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? Well, it's, 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 it's his intention to save people. That's the reason he does it. Not for me. I am not important. In our society, we think we are important. You follow me? I remember when the police came, we had, I would say, roughly 40 boxes of Bibles. Each box had about 40 Bibles. Can you do the, do the math or the geography or whatever you want? 40 boxes of 40 Bibles. In the middle of a little, little, little living room. I mean, basically, it was hard to walk around them. We had a little couch that would open. We had a little, I don't know how you call it, that you put the clothes in, but it's not a built-in closet. It's a wood box, like a wardrobe, or however you call it in English. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so, between the, and the piano, between those things, and the, the boxes of Bibles in the middle, you would have to walk around, and you're so tall and so many. And somebody started to bang in the door. Police, open the door. We got a tip that you have Bibles. We knew that was the end. My mom started to cry. She was breaking. What are we going to do? We'd all die. My father said, simply, I mean the shortest prayer I heard, Lord, it's your business, not mine. Thank you. And that's it. He went to the door, opened the door. You have Bibles. And he was, okay. Do you? Why would I tell you? You need to tell me. People, when they would see the secret police, they were like shaking in fear. They could not control themselves in fear. My father was straight. He said, hey, I'm a son of the king. Amen. God's presence would cast away any fear. If you are afraid, you don't have a God. Because if you have a God that is real, then why are you afraid? Either you have a theory of God or you have a very small God. Mm -hmm. Because my God is so big, I'm not afraid. Amen. I mean, David had a big God and he was not afraid of Goliath. When people are afraid, they have a theory of God, not the presence of God. Because if you have the presence of God, there is no room for fear. Amen. You follow me? Yes. If God is with us, who can be against us? Come on. And so my father said to my mom, honey, we have God in our home. Stop crying. So he went to the door. What do you want? You have Bibles? He said, why would I answer to you? Aren't you afraid? Why would I be afraid? Do you have Bibles? What is your job? We are police officers. We are supposed to search you. Then if I tell you if I have Bibles, would you give me your salary because I do your job? That's what he said. If I tell you I have Bibles, I do your job, that means you give me your salary. Do your job. Go inside and search. And then you deserve your salary. And they look to each other. He's not afraid. He must not have Bibles. Let's go. And they left. Amen. There were people in the church that were paid by the police to be traitors, to be Judas. And my father told us at the table when we eat, 
Be careful with brother so-and-so. He's a wonderful man, but just don't talk to him. <laughs> Say hello, how are you doing? Just don't tell him what you see in the house. Don't tell him. Why? No, no need to explain. And then I had a habit. When everybody would go to sleep and mom and dad would talk, I would get slowly from the bedroom in a little hallway and put my ear on their door and listen to everything they talked. And my father would tell my mom, today when I was in Yugoslavia, brother so-and-so was, was taking pictures with me loading Bibles in the car. So expect the police to come tonight. Sure enough, the night the police knocked in the door again. We, oh, the house is full of Bibles again, 40 boxes. What do we do? My father goes to the door, you have Bibles, we got another tip, somebody saw you. We knew that church member was paid by the police, you know. And so, somebody told us, you have Bibles. My father, come in and search. This time we are gonna. And they came in. 40 boxes. Three officers. Says, you search that bedroom, you search that bedroom, and I do this. And they turned the house upside down, mattresses, everything. And they walked by the boxes, avoiding them, walked for two hours back and forth. And they didn't see the boxes. It's like they were blind. It's like I was waiting that they, you know, hit the boxes somehow. They didn't even touch them like people in Sodom and Gomorrah that were blind going around. The, you remember? Lost house. And they left, they said, no Bible in this house. <laughs> Forty boxes. And I would say to my father, why would God do this miracle for you? And he would say, oh no, no, it is his work, not me. Don't ever be, don't ever be tempted to focus on self. Because then you are going to say, Lord, I am sick, heal me. And if he doesn't seem to get healing, then you get discouraged because you think you are somebody. And he would say to me, hey, John the Baptist, he was beheaded. Paul the Apostle, he was beheaded. Peter was crucified. James was killed by the sword. Who do you think you are that God will save you? He would say to me, Jesus, God's son himself died for you. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Don't think about your life. Forget self. Say, I shall decrease, he shall increase. Forget self. Forget self. Forget self. In our society, who forgets self? <laughs> it's all about self. And so, let me give you another story. Just to make a point, and then we probably start our subject, though we don't have a lot of time. Just to make a point before we start in the introduction. Let me, uh, we, our church was extremely old. When I say extremely, do I speak too fast? No. No, okay, because then I would ask you to pray for the gift of tongues. Uh, we had an extremely old church. When I say old, it was, I don't want to go to be too descriptive because then you'll probably imagine too much. But let me give you one of the pictures. The bathrooms didn't have toilet. It was a hole in the ground. You get the picture? Yeah. Okay. And the walls of, were plywood without any support. Basically, if you would lean against, they would collapse. The pastor's house was plywood. Do you get the picture? Yeah. The, the church was old and small, and we had no more room. So my father was praying and praying and praying and he talked to the pastor. We had a very good, very good, very spiritual, very dedicated, very good pastor. And my father talked to the pastor and said, we need to build a new church. But in that time, 
You could not, it was against the law to build a church. In fact, the dictator Ceausescu, if you ever heard that name, anybody of you heard the name Ceausescu? The dictator demolished thousands of churches. I mean, like in, I'm sorry to say, but like in China right now, it's a lot of, you know, the, 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 the poor Christians, they have a hard time. And so the dictator demolished a bunch of churches. And so, uh, you are not allowed to do anything for the church. If you needed a chair, you are not allowed without government approval. You could not buy a chair or a pencil, as a matter of fact, for the church. And so how do you do it then? Our members would buy the things like the chair themselves, take it to the church. And when the police would come, you got a chair and you got no approval. They would say, this is my chair. I brought it from home to sit on. So people would buy stuff and bring it to the church and say, this is my piano, this is my book, this, you follow me? And so that's how we did it. But my father said, we need to build a church. And the pastor said, yes, I agree. But we are all going to go to prison if we even try to attempt to put a brick. My father said, no, if God works, we will not. And if God doesn't, it means that he needs us in prison. If Joseph didn't go to prison, he would have never been prime minister. Why are you so afraid of prison? Don't you want to be prime minister? <laughs> Think about it. Every time we face a challenge, what do we say in prayer? Lord, will you please solve it? Don't we? Well, if Joseph would have prayed that prayer, Lord, would you get me out of this prison? Would he have been, he been prime minister? Think about it. Would he have... English saved his family or the whole Egypt or the whole Israel? Now, because we think about what we like and what we want and what is comfortable for us, me, 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 give me, help me, you know, now. And we don't say, Lord, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, it's good to see you, brother. What does it say? For we know, it doesn't say we think, we hope, it says we know, as a matter of fact, that how many things? All. How much means all? 95%? No. Now I look in Greek and I translate it myself, the word all. You know how you translate it? All. <laughs> for we know that all means all things work together for? For good. And so let me, let me explain. Joseph could have said, Lord, why am I doing here? I am innocent. Where is God? You follow me? I am innocent. Why, am I, why don't you, if you love me, why don't you answer my prayer? But Joseph, the Bible says that they could see the spirit of living God in him. That means that he didn't even complain. He didn't allow himself to think about himself. And because he trusted God in the midst of his crisis, and he knew that all things, he knew God enough to know that he is not alone. That God is dead in prison next to him. And if God didn't want him to be in prison, he would not have been in prison. Because God would have said, no. Period. God is God. If you believe in God, he says, be still. He says, let there be light. You follow me? Let there be trees. And basically, when God says, it happens. It has energy. Dabar. That's the Hebrew. When he says, it happens. If God would have said no to prison, that's it. But if God allowed it, he must have a purpose. Who am I to change it because I don't feel comfortable? 
You, you get it? Yeah. And because he knew that God is with him. That means, that means religion. Religion doesn't mean only theory. It's good to know the theory. Religion doesn't mean only the doctrines. It's good, don't get me wrong. The doctrines are biblical. It's good to know the doctrines. But if you have the doctrines and you don't have the relationship with the God of the doctrines, then you don't have a religion. Amen. What's the benefit to know the theory about God without knowing God personally? Joseph knew God enough to walk with him. We sing the song, we do. And he walks with me and he talks with me. But do we walk with him and talk to him? Or we sing the song, oh, how I love Jesus. Do we? Because every time we pray, every prayer that I hear is for self. Bless me, help me, heal me, give me. You follow me? When you love somebody, you sacrifice self for the object of your love. For the one you love. You follow me? When you really love somebody, not self, you sacrifice self and you do it joyfully. It's a privilege. Hello? And so Joseph knew, he was so connected to God that he knew. The Bible says that they saw, they saw about him. The spirit of the living God is in him. They saw something different in him compared to the other inmates. He knew that God is with him and God allowed it. If God allowed it, I don't need to understand we need to understand in order to believe or to obey. But when you know God, you don't need to understand. It's enough you know God. You follow me? My wife and I, we have visitors. When we have visitors, we don't have time to talk. She looks to me, I know exactly, I go and do it. And I don't need any explanation, I just do it. We talk after visitors leave. You follow me? Because I know her enough. And trust me, you better do it when she looks to you. <laughs> I mean, you have to choose between being right or being happy. But anyway, I choose happiness. <laughs> I've been right in my first 10 years of marriage and I had enough. <laughs> I've been happy for the rest 26, 36 years in January. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Anyway, so going back, Joseph knew that God is with him in prison. By the way, this is not the sermon. Joseph knew that God is with him. And for him, though he didn't understand what was going on, he didn't, Joseph didn't read the Bible. He didn't know the end of the story. You follow me? He didn't read his own story. So he didn't know what was going to happen next year if he would be in prison one or ten years or he would die in prison. He didn't know that. But he knew that God is with him and that was enough. If God is with me, that's enough. I don't need anything else. If I live or die, I don't care. What Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die, it's a privilege. And so Joseph knew and that was enough. And because he trusted God when he didn't see it, it's easy to trust when you see things. But he trusted God in the midst of his crisis without seeing anything. Because he was so connected that he knew God is with me. If God is with me, who can be against me? If God allowed it, it means I need it. If I need it, why would I argue? Instead of praying, Lord, save me from prison, he probably prayed, Lord, whatever plan you have, help me to fulfill it in prison. If you want to grow me and I need to go through some hardship to learn some things like patience, humility... We do need those, don't we? Yes. To learn uh, kindness, to learn compassion, to learn dependence, to learn faith. Whatever lessons I need to grow in character, let me grow. Yeah. 
instead of playing solve this problem rather grow me because if you don't learn the lesson you have to repeat the class mm-hmm. you need to learn the lesson so you pass the class so you don't need to go through that trial again and again and again and again and again because you refuse to learn the lesson learn it and graduate move on and so back to Joseph instead of saying save me from prison he said if it's about me help me learn the lesson and if it's about others use me and because he trusted God and if he was willing to forget his own comfort God could use him think about Abraham why would God use Abraham because he was ready to forget self to any price not only that he left his country he was ready to sacrifice his own family you remember yeah all people of faith have been ready to sacrifice self what Jesus says Jesus says in Luke what remember if remember remember the words whoever doesn't hate mother and father mother-in-law is the easiest one and son and daughter and his own life cannot be my disciple now by the way the word in Greek is not hate is Misheo Misheo doesn't mean to hate Jesus doesn't teach you to hate in our society people do hate a lot but Misheo means to love less love less than whoever doesn't love whatever less than me is not worthy to be my disciple in our society very few people love God more than or love themselves less than God you follow me people in the Bible Joseph Moses Abraham and so on they have loved God more than self therefore they are willing to go to prison or to give up to be a Pharaoh or to give up you follow me Paul had a brilliant future he was highly educated very influential yet he was ready to give up self and he says I consider all things you remember the word Garbage. In Greek is skubalo. You know what skubalo means? Not garbage. It means animal excrements. He says, I consider all things animal excrements. Basically compost. (laughs) I consider all of them garbage for the price of knowing Jesus Christ. And I I want to know him. And I want to know his uh, death. And I want to know his resurrection. And I want to be one with him. The other things pale. I don't need them. If I have Jesus, we do sing the song, you can have all the world, but give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. We sing the song, but we really don't believe in it. <laughs> he was ready. He says, I can't all garbage for the price of knowing. I want to know him. I want to understand how God thinks. I want to understand how he functions. I want to understand his love. At least a drop. I want to understand his grace. His, his, his righteousness. I want to, to, to think about that. Because what is eternal life? The Bible says eternal life is to? No, no. To know God. Wow. Anyway. Going back. My father said to the pastor if they arrest us for building a church maybe we need to go to prison maybe God has a plan in prison I do, I do remember or I stopped the story don't worry <laughs> I can tell three stories and go back to the first and so he said maybe God has a plan in prison somebody has to work with the, pre, with the inmates so why do we all run from trials we will never grow if we want just an easy life you, you never accomplish anything with an easy life. School is not easy. Work is not easy. You follow me? Yes. 
Nothing good, it's easy. Okay. And so, he says, why don't you go to prison? Would you rather stay in an old church for the sake of your own freedom or build a church and risk your life for God? And the pastor said, I agree with you. Let's convince the church. They talk to the board. The board, like, all of them got under the chairs. Woo! Don't talk about it because if somebody among us will tell the police, we all go to prison. <laughs> and my father said, hey, do you love Jesus? Yes! More than anything. Yes, then let's build a church. But we go to prison. And what's the problem? But we go to prison. Well, yeah, let's go to prison. What's the, what's the problem? Do you love your freedom or God? Who, who do you love more? God. Why are you so concerned with self? Because we love self. Duh. Huh? Am I right? Yes. Why do you pray so much for self? Because we love self. Therefore, we, it means that we worship self. Yeah. Anyway, and so he says, let's build a church. They prayed, they gave donations, they started to work. I was there. I was in fifth grade, fifth or sixth, I don't remember precisely, not important. I was there. Everybody worked. Children, elderly, adults, men, women, pastor, his wife, everybody worked. I still have a scar from here to here because I was on a scaffolding and I jumped from this board to that board and there was somebody carrying some 2 by 4s and the 2 by 4 got me here. Since that time I still have the scar and I am very proud, I show everybody. That was when I was in fifth grade during communism, we built a church. Look, this is the sign. <laughs> so, we started to build a church. And we worked in the night from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m without any lights, so nobody could catch us. At the light of the moon. We didn't use any power tools, quietly, so nobody would hear us. And we demolished the old church without any noise. We would take it down slowly and not drop it, but kind of land it nicely. And we left the front wall of the old church, propped it, and we started to build a new church hiding behind the front wall of the old church. Amen. And we worked nights, everybody, for three months. And eventually the new church became taller than the front wall of the old church. So somebody called the police. One night around 2.30 a.m., 2, 3 o'clock, I don't remember. The police came and we had a church. I have pictures of the old church and the new church in my computer, in fact. Anyway, and the police came and in front of the church, it was like a, like, like concrete, like, like a path. And then two like evergreen fences in the left and right side. I don't know how you call it, like bushes in the left and right side of the path. And then in the, behind the evergreens, there was an almond tree and an apple tree and some uh, grapevines and the bench. And in the left side, it was an almond tree and the house of the pastor. And I remember people preparing the concrete by hand and in, in front of the church, after the evergreens and everything, it was a big fence and big gates. And I remember around 2.30 a.m. It was raining, pouring. We were working in the rain. And the police started to bang in the door, in the gate. Open the gate! They were pounding in the gate. The whole church, I don't know how many people, 150, 200 people working in the night. In the rain, they started to cry. We all go to prison, and they are going to demolish our church. That's the end. And my father said, go under the balcony, let me explain what that means. The new building in the back didn't have a roof, but in the back we put a balcony 
Because usually in some churches in Romania, the choir stays up at the balcony. So we put the balcony for the choir. So the whole group, all the workers, got under the balcony so it would not rain on them. And they all kneeled down and they started to pray like never before. And the police was bang, banging in the door. They started to pray under the balcony. And my father went to the gate. What do you want? We are the police! Open the gate! Nope. Open the gate! Do you have a warrant? No, we don't! Go get a warrant. Aren't you afraid we are going to terminate you? You can when you come back with a warrant. Until then, I, I don't open. In fact, I'm going to call the news. Open the gate! Get a warrant. It's 2 a.m. The judge is sleeping. Then wait until tomorrow. <laughs> Aren't you afraid? Nope. You will pay for it. Ready to pay whenever you come back. They left. My father went under the balcony to the rest of the group and said, make sure that there is nothing between you and God, that your God is real and he is a priority. Mm. We usually, he said, want God's help, but we really don't like God's presence. Mm. We just talk about it. <laughs> make sure that you have God's presence with you. And my father went to one of the members and said, brother, I want to ask forgiveness. For what, Mr. Mr. Goya, for what? My wife and I have criticized you at home. Please forgive me. And he said, well, I don't like you either. My wife and I have criticized you. <laughs> have criticized you too. And they hugged each other. And then another one asking forgiveness. And then another one. In a short time, it was a sweet speed. People were hugging each other. People were solving their problems. And then people started to pray again. We, it was a spirit that I've, not, I've never seen before in my life. You could sense God's presence working there. And then the police didn't come back that night and didn't come back next night. And for three months they didn't come back. We finished the church, finished the Sabbath school classes, finished the restrooms, the new nice restrooms. We finished the pastor's house and everything. And then the police came three months later. When the police finally came and the church was ready, my father talked to the pastor and said, Listen, you are a young man. You are dedicated. You are a really good worker. It would be so sad if they terminated your ministry. You still have a life to serve. Go. I want you to go to the back door. I want you to disappear so they will not arrest you. I am old. I am getting retired in a few weeks. If they arrest me, I am okay. There is nothing they can do to me. And the pastor, no, no, no. I built a church. I deserve to go to prison. No, you still have a work to do. Go. Amen. And they are good friends. So the pastor eventually took his wife and he left. The police still banging in the door. My father opened the, the gate. Who is the one responsible for construction? My father said, me. I brought all the materials. I made the plans. I, I coordinated the work. You can arrest me. Leave the others alone. Who does that? They took him to the police station. We got tired of you bringing Bibles and building churches and doing evangelism. Do we, we are in a communist country. We don't believe in God. And my father said, oh, so sad that you don't believe. I will pray for you. <laughs> there is no God. Oh, yeah, there is one. I talk to him every night. And through the day, I walk with him. You are crazy. Oh, yeah. God's wisdom is foolishness for you guys. You don't get it. Amen. You need to stop. Otherwise, we'll terminate you. Well, go ahead. We are going to take your salary. There is nothing to take. I give 90% to the church. I keep only 10% in the house. We are going to take your house. I already gave it to the church. There is nothing to take. We are going to fire you. I get retired in a couple of weeks. Please fire me so I have more time for God. <laughs> The police officer put the gun in my father's chest. Well, let's see if you have so much courage right now if I shoot you. My father said, hold on a second, let me open the shirt. He started, he started to unbutton. 
The officer says, the bullet goes through the shirt. My father said, I know. That's not the point. I don't open the shirt for the bullet to go. I open the shirt because there are so many people who don't have a shirt. And it would be a, a pity to, to stain it. Just give it to somebody poor and then you can shoot me. <clears throat> so the police officer took the telephone and called the chief of police. I cannot scare him to stop. This man is crazy. He's going to keep serving his God. There is nothing I can do. This man doesn't know anything else except God and God. And that's it. So the chief of police called the mayor. What should you do? He doesn't stop. They are going to keep building. They are going to keep doing. What should you do? And the mayor said, I give you a written order. Execute him. Make him a lesson for everybody. Teach them a lesson. Make him an example. Execute him. The mayor gave the written order for my father to be executed. The telephone came. Officer says, Mr. Goya, this is serious now. This is not about scaring you off. We got to execute you. We got order from the mayor. My father, that's okay. Let me pray first. Well, there is nobody to help you even if you pray. Oh, you got it wrong, brother. I never pray for myself. I learned when I was young. The more I prayed for my problems, the more problems I had. <laughs> I learned when I pray for others. That's when God fights for me. So I don't need to defend myself. I serve God and he defends me only if he wants. Amen. And he said, I'm not praying for me. But what are you praying for? Well, you'll see. My father put his arm around the officer and said, Lord, I'm happy to die for you. You die for me. What am I? But Lord, would you do me this favor if I die and save this man? Amen. I want to see him in heaven. And then he said, thank you, Lord. Amen. He said, now you can shoot me. I'm ready. Mm. And the guy shoot his, his head and he says, I don't get it. You really are crazy or you know something that I don't know. <laughs> but he said, I'm sorry, but I really have to execute the order. I got to do my job. And in that moment, the telephone started to ring. It was the deputy of the city. The one under the mayor. He said, let him go home. Don't you touch this man because his God is real. Amen. After the mayor gave the order for him to be executed, he got in his car. And as he left the city hall, a drunk driver in a big truck hit the mayor's car and killed the mayor. The mayor just died a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> let him go home. Don't you touch this man. Don't you touch this man. Amen. My father came home and says, okay, let's build another one. <laughs> I asked him, why would God do this for you and he doesn't do for the others? And my father would say, you don't get it, son. It's not about me. When you make God the center of your life, that's when God can work. As long as you are self-centered, God cannot work because you are going to use all that blessing, all that power, all those resources for selfish interest in selfish human decisions. When you give up self and you allow God to be in control, that's when he can really work. Amen. Did you hear what, what, what I just said right now? Why doesn't God work in our days? Is it because God got old, he has arthritis, you know, or he's in vacation? Why God doesn't God work? Is it because he lost his interest, his love, his power? No, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is real, God has power, God is love. Why doesn't he work? Because people are very self-centered. We think we are Christians. Christians means to be like Christ. Christ didn't come to be served. He is the God of the universe, the King of Kings. And he came to serve and to sacrifice self. God dying for you. Amen. The reason God cannot work today is because we are so self-centered. If God gave us power, resources, energy, we would use it for self and think we'll be happy if we get more. Only when we sacrifice self 
and make God a priority. What the Bible says, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, all your power, all you are, all you have, and love your neighbor just as you love yourself. Only when you forget self, sacrifice self, that's when God can give you blessings, energy, resources, miracles, that's when you have a story. People in our days don't have a story because it's all about them. That's when you have a story. Because when you surrender, fully commit self, fully sacrifice self, fully forget self, that's when it's safe for God to give you power. Because you are not going to use that power in human selfishness or wisdom. You are going to use that power the way He wants. So it's not risky for God to give you power and resources. You follow me? Yeah. You hear it? The reason people in the Bible have a story and they are famous in the world history is because those people have, have been willing to forget self. You want to accomplish something in life, you need to be willing to forget self. Hello? You are awfully quiet. <laughs> it's wonderful to go to school. Praise the Lord. What's the benefit to go to school if God will not be able to use you to the plans and the potential and the power that he has for you. What's the benefit? Another doctor, another teacher. The world is full of them. If you really want to accomplish something, you need to be willing to let God control your life. I've never seen a car with two drivers. You cannot say that God controls your life and yet you are in control. Either him or you cannot be both. And Christianity means when you fully surrender and God fully takes over. And you no longer live. What Paul says in Galatians, you remember what he says? I've been crucified and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And what I live, I live by faith. You know what it means to be crucified? To be dead? It means you are dead. Dead people don't have desires. Dead, pe dead people don't get upset. Hello? Dead people don't make decisions. To be dead, to be... I've been crucified, I no longer live. Or in Colossians, he says, how do you say in English? Colossians, okay, whatever, English. He says, I die daily. This surrender is not a one-time deal. This is a daily deal. You follow me? He says, I die, every morning I die to self. I say, Lord, here I am today, myself, my energy, my time, my family, my money, my life, my job, I put it in your hands. You control it. I do whatever you say. I trust you. I know you love me. I know your plan is better than mine. And I trust you to take care of me better than I trust myself to take care of me. And here, this is the deal. I'm going to serve you today and you do to me whatever you want. I, I, I give you my consent. Whatever you want, that should happen to me. I'm not important. You are important. That's when you worship God. Otherwise, you worship self. And so we think, please don't be offended. We think because we go to church, we keep Sabbath, we don't eat pork, we eat a bunch of tofu, we think that that's religion. <laughs> Those are good things. You should go to church. You should keep Sabbath. You should eat healthy. Except ice cream, but whatever. But you should. But those things don't be tempted to replace the forms with the presence. Those things put us to sleep and say, I am okay. No. Before God controls your life, you are not okay. 
You cannot go to heaven while you are in control. Because then you are the God. Christianity is not when you go to church. That's the reason our churches don't have power. You go to church and you go home and there is no transformation. And you listen 1,000 sermons or 2,000 sermons in a lifetime, camp meeting after camp meeting, sermon after, and yet no transformation, no growth, no victory, no joy, no, no peace, no nothing. No miracle, no story. You follow me? Because Christianity is not the forms you do, it's the presence that controls you. That's Christianity. So if you really want to be a Christian, you need to learn to die daily. Total, absolute, full surrender. And that's harder than to keep Sabbath. To keep Sabbath, it's really the easiest job in Christian life. I mean, think about it. Lazy people keep every day. <laughs> Am I right? It's difficult to work. Don't say it's difficult to do nothing. It's easy. <laughs> he says, yeah, I got to keep Sabbath. What do, you, what do you mean? I cannot work. Duh! <laughs> That's not difficult. And then we keep Sabbath. We cannot work. But we are so lazy, we don't go to church. <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean to offend anybody. I just want to make a point. We need to be realistic. The forms that we do don't give us merits or get us in heaven. And don't tell me, well, I have Jesus, but I don't. I don't have to do this and to do that. And to. When you have Jesus, if you love him, you obey him. Amen. Basically, if I love my wife, I do what she says. Amen. It's not enough, oh, honey, I love you. You got to prove it. <laughs> you follow me? Yes. When you really love Jesus, you do what he says. If you don't, then your love is just stuck. And so going back, Real Christianity, it's absolute daily surrender. Where God fully takes over your life. And you get so close to him that he talks to you. You hear his voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. If you really don't know his voice, you need to ask yourself, are you his sheep? Hello? Hello? Think about it. You may not like it. Well, don't call me back. My sheep know my voice. And he walks with me. Do you really talk to him? Does he talk to you? God says, I know the plans I have for you. He does. Do you know his plans for you for every day? Do you follow his plans or you have your to-do list, your plans? Do you remember in one of our inspired books, it says, Jesus, um, I know word by word, you can Google it and you'll find the quotation. I, I have it. Jesus made no plans for himself. That's not because he didn't have a brain. Think about it. He received the plans from the Father every day. And then listen to the next paragraph. So should we, every morning, surrender our plans before the Lord. Listen. Ready to fulfill them or to give them up according to his will. And then ask for his plan and trust in him and his care. Surrender your plans every day. Surrender your plans every day. Say, Lord, here I am. 
Here I am, send me. Here I am, I made myself available. These are my plans. I would really like to do them. Nevertheless, I give you my consent to do whatever you want. If you have something to do, I am ready to give up my agenda and to do your agenda. Try that. When I try, I have, if you see it, you'll think that I am sick. I have about five lists full back and forth to do things. And I keep adding and, I, and when I get too many, I just forget the oldest list. And I create a new one, imagine. And I don't have the strength to throw it away. I still keep it in my pocket, so the number of the list keeps growing. And then I don't remember which one is the freshest one, you know? <laughs> and anyway, so my wife says, honey, just give it up, because you still, right now, how many do I count? Oh, I have about 10 right now. Do you read them all? now? I look, this one is not written back and forth, so probably this is the last one. She says, throw them away. <laughs> and so, the more problems I solve, the more I have to write, because another one, now I, I got to fix that, I got to go there, and I keep writing, and it piles up, and I, I like, oh man, I'm never, never gonna finish. And when I put God's plan first, and forget my list, it's like, what's gonna happen to this, and that, and that, and I have to do this, I have to take the dogs for vaccine, to the vet, I have to do this, I have to do that today, I, uh, what's gonna happen to all my plans? When I put God first, and I think that I'm gonna lose everything, I get a phone call, Oh, Dad, by the way, I stopped and picked, picked the dogs. No, no worries. And I get another phone call. Oh, by the way, you know, it, all of them get solved without me touching it. And then I open my Bible to study and it says, God will fight for you. If you put him first, he will go ahead of you and he will fight your battles. If you put him first, he will fight your battles. You don't have to fight. Let me give you an example, let me give you an example. I was in university and I had an exam, it was a final, and it was, we called it in Romania, beton. It was in concrete, and it was a lot, a lot of calculus. Our classroom had blackboards around all four walls. And to prove one theory, you'd have to fill those boards with a lot of mathematics and physics, you know? And you'd have to show a building how it would last to earthquake and to pressure and to wind and to tornado and this and that and fire and that, that, that. and for dam over the rivers, you know, a powerhouse over the river, okay? That was my specialty, you know? And so I had to do all that calculus in that final exam. And if I missed that, I would miss the whole year. I would lose my whole year. And that was a tough exam. I mean, it was... The book, the concrete book, was like an encyclopedia, so big, you know. And so students were stressed, they were learning for about two months, and I did learn as much as I could, but anyway. And so, the night before, I said, I'm gonna go again, scan through the material, and then go to sleep early, so I have my mind fresh for tomorrow for the final. Well, 2 p.m. I was planning between 2 when I came from school, between 2 and 5 to go again and then eat and then go more and then go to sleep around 9 or 10. 2 o'clock the telephone rings from the church. Hey, we need help. We got this and this and these materials and nobody showed up and we don't have people to work here to help us. That was in Bucharest. Anyway, and so I said, my tendency, no, I have final tomorrow and it's the most difficult class, the most difficult exam, I can lose my whole year. No! And then it came in my mind. You just studied in the morning and prayed and you said, Lord, I surrender my plans and my life and my school and my job and my everything and put you first, your plans, your agenda. 
I said, yeah, but it's my final. Well, that doesn't apply to the final. And it came my father's words in my mind, whatever comes between you and God, that's your God. Whatever you cannot surrender for God, that's what you worship. And so I said, you know what? Forget it. What's the benefit to get your school if you lose your salvation? I get to pass the final and tomorrow I die cancer or accident or tornado or a crazy man shoots me or whatever. What's the benefit to live without God? I would rather lose school and live with God. So I called the church and said, I'm coming. And the other, I had a few classmates that were in the same church. Are you crazy? It's the most difficult. Don't take and wait. I said, no, the church is a priority for me. That's how I was raised. So I gave up the final and I went to church. I worked physical labor until I collapsed. I had pain in my hands. I got home around 9.30 p.m. I took a shower. I ate. That's holy. Meal and Sabbath cannot be missed. I ate and then I dropped like crazy. I could not even read one. I tried to read and I was like, you know, I dropped. Tomorrow morning I go to the exam and all my classmates stressed. What are you going to do? My mind functioned like never before. It was like flowing, thoughts flying through my mind, coming, everything, every question. Wow, it was like lights in my brain coming like this. I've never seen anything like that. I wrote, it was a four hours exam I finished in one hour and 40 minutes, and I did all the questions and the bonus questions, and I was the single one in the class to get, you call it an A+. In that time it was one to 10, and I got an 11. <laughs> Basically it was a 10 plus, and they said, you did everything perfect. We have never seen an exam so perfect. And they put there, absolutely perfect, on my paper on the side. Absolutely perfect. The others, most of them failed. And a few of them passed, you would, see, you would say with a C, you know. I was the single one, A+. Plus. They said, how in the world can you assimilate, can you memorize so much, you passed everything. And I said to myself, what it means to put God first. He can, I mean, he can give you sleep in one hour like other people in ten. He can refresh your memory. If he fights for you, who can be against you? Amen. And every time I put God first, I learned that you never fail when you put him first. And when I say, Lord, here I am, use me today. And I am, because we are so busy with our list that we are blind to people around us. People live in stress. People live in pain. People live, and we don't see and don't hear because it's all about me. For instance, I go to work and I am praying, Lord, use me today. If you need me to be a blessing for somebody, here I am. I'm, I, I want to stay connected. I want to hear your voice. Just tell me and I will do it. I will not argue. Well, my wife gives me food with me because I eat. And so I was ready to, it's like 10 o'clock, I'm hungry. I open, I have a, two sandwiches, one apple, one banana, two ground bars. I smile, water in my mouth, ready to eat. I say, oh, I need to pray. I stop and I pray, and God impressed me right away. Go to your secretary, give her some food. I said, no, this is not Cuba, this is not, this is America. She will be offended, everybody has food, she has food. <laughs> and God said, you asked me to tell you what to do. Go to your secretary, give her food. So I go around and I go to her desk, and very strange, she is with her head on her desk, like this. She has diabetes, she was born with diabetes, and she has a pump that drops insulin. And the pump broke, and her sugar went down to 32. Basically, she was a little away from death, you know. And I said, are you okay? And she just did that. 
She had no strength to talk. I said, I came to bring you some food. And I helped her, she took the food, she ate, and she started to recover slowly. And she said, I, I had no strength to call or to talk, and I prayed in my mind that God would send somebody with some food. She said, my pump broke. I said, eat and go to the doctor, fix the pump, I need you alive. <laughs> but to be connected, to make yourself available, that's when you have a story. Not when you live, you are so focused with you that you have no eyes for people around. You follow me? Our time is up. I have only one minute and seven, six, five, four seconds. Anyway, I got to finish. We didn't manage to start tonight. It was only the title. The, the, the title is Absolute Commitment or Total Commitment. Full Commitment. And we just talked about the title, but we'll continue tomorrow. Didn't manage to show you any slides or anything, pictures. or Just gave you a couple of stories. But think about it. If you believe in God and if your God is not only a theory and you mean with all your heart to know God to serve God then you seriously need to think about daily total surrender total self-sacrifice don't worry about man that's really big that's impossible God will never give you more than you can do and when he would ask you to do something he will be joyful to help you. Amen. All you have to do, you just have to want your will, your decision. God is going to give you the strength and the help to do it. And he's going to give you a small task. And as you trust him and you are faithful in small, then as you grow and you experience him, he's going to give you a little more. You follow me? And then a little more. And he would patiently grow you. God, you don't expect your baby to work. You expect your baby to eat and to burp and to poop and then you expect your baby eventually to sit and then you expect your baby to learn to walk you follow me you are patient with your child to grow moreover god is patient with you and me to grow when your baby learns how to walk and he would fall down you don't spank the baby hey you are not supposed to fall you kiss the baby and say let's try again moreover god is patient with us but you need to make that decision lord i want to surrender help me and you need to make it daily. You follow me? Amen. Then God can work in you and through you. Then you really have an impact on people around you. You make a difference. Then you have a story. Amen. You follow me? Okay. We said when we finished that my friend Jen is going to have the closing prayer. Jen, come here, brother. Give them one minute. And let them pray privately, make private decisions tonight. If you come here and you don't make a decision, why are you here? Why am I here? You follow me? Give them one minute to pray privately and then have a closing prayer. A great God, our dear loving Heavenly Father. Lord, we praise and we thank you for the beautiful reminder for us tonight. That there's no point in living life only for ourselves. Father, we ask that you please continue to reveal to us that the only way to live is to die daily, mm. is to give you all. Dear Father, I ask in a very special way that may you help us to know you the way Pastor Pavel's dad knows you. Amen. Take us deeper in our walk with you, O oh Lord. Draw us nearer. And Lord, I pray that as we leave this, uh, this place, may we never leave your presence. Amen. 
And before we even go to bed, Lord, I pray that may we spend more time with you. Draw us nearer and nearer to your side, oh Lord. Thank you so much because there is so much more that you desire to show us. Bless each one of us, oh Lord, and fill us with your spirit. For we ask all this in the loving and precious name of your son Jesus, all your children say. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.